1: Alright, we are recording Contrarians Corner for the Chainsaw Massacre remake.
0: Hello, welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, the sultry voice you heard preceding me was my co-host Julio, and we are here continuing on, wrapping up actually, the autumn of remakes with the 2003 uh, improvement on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre directed by Marcus Nispel, of course, produced by Michael Bay. We've already covered uh, Michael Bay's contributions to the horror community a bit earlier in this uh, arc with The Nightmare on Elm Street when Michael Bay got a wild hair up his ass in the early 2000s that he wanted to you know, bring back to the forefront, the slasher genre.
1: He just kind of wanted to rewrite history, and for lack of a time machine, the next best thing was to remake classics that were not made as well as they should have. Pretty surprising surprising. he
0: didn't get his hands on Halloween at that point in time. But, God, Halloween went through so many different film studios. He had Dimension, uh, Universal... I think even they might have had a Paramount at some point in time.
1: Michael Bay strikes me as the guy that has no patience to pursue it for that long. (laughs) Michael Bay
0: absolutely (laughs) strikes me as the guy that watched Halloween and went, I don't get it.
1: Well, I was thinking he just doesn't have the patience to pursue the rights. It was like, oh, I have to talk to how many people? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck this. Yeah,
0: Give me the guy who directed the Bush music video (laughs) and a shitty Leatherface mask. So. Released on October 17th of the year 2003 was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No surname, no subname, no no fuss. For
1: all intents and purposes, this was meant to completely replace the original, erase it from existence from then on. When you said the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you were just talking you about 2003. You
0: were to think right? about Jessica Beale Nothing John, wrong about that. No, at all. Uh, but yeah, bring it back around, directed by Marcus Nispel, who up until this point was pretty much a director of music videos, uh, written by Scott Kosar, Kosser, I apologize for mispronouncing the name. Uh, his most notable work was, uh, The Machinist, which I've still never seen. Oh, but, really? Yeah. Good movie. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 2003, however, um, uh, not as highly regarded in some respects as its original counterpart as it stands at 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, first of all, as always, we thank you all for listening. Second of all, give you a quick rundown of this gimmick that we call a podcast. Uh, We find a movie that is highly rated on rotten tomatoes, make a case for the bad in it, find a nasty green splotch of rotten film, and make a case for the good in it. All to argue that art is subjective, as we like to say, but also you can be over the moon about anything if you want to be. So that being said, for the first portion of this podcast, we call Contrarian's Corner. Uh, being that this movie is rotten, we'll be accenting the positives of it uh, and talking about how great it is. If you want to know how we really feel, then will come around in the second half of the podcast, fittingly titled Real Talk. That's
1: when we tell you how we really feel, and then you get to uh, confirm your suspicions or have them shattered.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually interested to get to real talk of this one because... Throughout a lot of the movie, I was like, eh? And Julio was like, eh. So <laughs> we'll see how this goes. But being that it was 37% and not the highly touted original, Julio, what were uh, what were these bitches saying about the movie?
1: All right. So Rotten Tomatoes got a bunch of quotes, mostly negative, green splotches. I pulled four from their website, starting with Brian Orndoff from modemag.com, who says about as threatening as a nine-inch nails music
0: video. Jokes on you, Trent Reznor didn't do the score. <laughs>
1: what was it? It wasn't nine inch nails, was it? Corn. Uh, uh, remember that time that we were at work and uh, you, Eddie, and I were talking about the music video for some song, and so we, one of us pulls it up on their phone, and then we start watching it, and it's actually kind of disturbing. And then it's over, and the three of us are like, "Yeah, we didn't remember it was this bad." <laughs>
0: <laughs> that that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, it was,
1: I'm pretty sure it was a corn song.
0: Yeah, there's one that has like the animated and like the girl is being like abused by her father. I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the
1: one with the bullet that's yeah. traveling. Yeah,
0: I just remember the. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. Uh, anyway, Brian Orndoff, you should have said "corn" music video, and then I would have taken you more seriously. Uh, Blake Davis from KFOR Channel Four News. Given the opportunity to work with such classic material, all the director manages to do with it is to turn the whole movie into a shallow calling card for his visual skills.
0: Yeah, he's a music video director, I mean.
1: <laughs> Nothing shallow about that. It's a... No. Uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum from the Chicago Reader says, Inspired by a true story, presumably adds to the sordid thrills. Maybe we should look forward to entertainments about Nazis torturing children.
0: What? All right. <laughs> That was certainly a way you could have interpreted that.
1: (laughs) Swinging for the fences with that hot take. And finally, Kevin Carr from Fat Guys at the Movies. He just says, the biggest question for me is, why? That sounds like me when we're reviewing the original.
0: Well, was that Kevin Carr?
1: Yes. Fat Guys at the Movies. $100
0: million, that's why.
1: (laughs) Why? What? Sweet, sweet money.
0: (laughs) 10 times your budget. <laughs> Fittingly enough, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre takes place in Texas. <laughs> we start the movie off and already, I mean, we have the same narrator from the original, which I think was a nice throwback, uh, John Larroquette. Uh, but in this, they actually take the time to set the stage and like, this is a real crime. They, they say this is, you know, we're we're they said, fuck it, we're going to make it seem like it's real.
1: The real crime is that John Larroquette What was he doing in 2003? I mean, I understand back when the original was made, he was too busy to do anything but just lend his voice for the opening. 2003, I kind of get the feeling that they could have invited him on set and actually... Have him be the cop that's exploring the, the house.
0: Uh, I don't know. I need I need Arlie me in my life.
1: No, uh, no, no. I'm not saying he, he doesn't have to be the sheriff. He can be the cop that's on that opening video.
0: Oh, okay. The actual crime scene footage. That yeah, yeah, does. yeah. Yeah. And they bring it pretty close to home for Julio and myself as they say the to this day, the case remains open in Travis County, which is yeah, where they, we live.
1: They throw some heavy shade at the Travis County <laughs> Police Department.
0: Uh we begin with our five youths, who is led at the helm by Jessica Biel. Truthfully, real talk, Contrarian's Corner, whatever. Everyone else in this movie is inconsequential to Jessica Biel. Aaron. Yes.
1: The biggest twist that they could have pulled on us, and I'm glad they didn't, because it would have robbed us from the main pleasure of the rest of the movie. But uh would have been if they killed Jessica Biel in the first five minutes. If she was the first
0: kill. They pulled like a Wes Craven. yeah. But there's Jessica Beale, Jonathan Tucker who plays Morgan, Erica uh, Lursh Lers- who plays Pepper, Mike Vogel is Andy, Eric Balfour who plays Kemper. They comprise our five youths that uh, take us through this. So uh, it's a nice
1: mix. It is of, and- of you know heavy hitters and unknowns. <laughs>
0: And they all are far more polished than the five youths we were dealing with in the original. And also, they're actual youths, not people in their mid to late 30s.
1: So, look at all the improvements, right? They're young, so they look the part. They're beautiful.
0: All hot. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, which is necessary. This movie is, it deals with such gruesome uh, subject matter that you need, I love the contrast. It's a beautiful, horrible movie. And That starts with the casting. Uh, number three, it's it's a nice mix. Other than Jessica Biel, right? The other th- so you have uh, Eric Balfour, which is kind of like the bad boy, the low key bad boy of the early two thousands. And so with him, you, you're like he can go either way. He could be first kill. He could he could be last kill. And then the other three are unknowns. So you really don't know if if they're gonna die soon or if they're gonna make it all the way to the end. Uh, the only thing that you're kind of secure about is that Jessica Beale will probably make it all the way to the end because she was in all the trailers a lot she's super hot so it'd be a waste to kill her early and she also she's the biggest name she was in seventh heaven for crying aloud
0: and for those of you who listened to our wild hogs episode uh, when I commented on uh, Marissa Tomei and her southwest uh, chic Jessica Beale turns this up to 12.
1: That is my note here says, uh, Beal rocking the Tomei, Southwestern chick.
0: <laughs> my God. And I think some of that will bleed over into real talk, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But our five youths have come up from Mexico. They're traveling through Austin on their way to Dallas to attend a Leonard Skynyrd concert. Uh, they weren't fucking around on the budget on this one. If the, I read it was about $10 million the budget was. I think about seven of that went to Skinner for the rights to play Sweet Home Alabama when this movie kicked off.
1: Um, it would have been awesome if they closed with Freebird. Oh. <laughs> yeah, she's like running early army over <laughs> Rob, over and over.
0: Rob Zombie's in the theater and he flips over the table in front of him. <laughs> it was my idea, goddammit. it. <laughs> While they're in Mexico, they partied hardy and they bought two pounds of marijuana that they're smuggling in a pinata. Uh as th- you do? Yeah, I don't know if it's never really explained if their intention was to take it back and sell it or smoke it. We, I
1: we, mean, look at them. <laughs> <laughs> Even if the intention was to sell it, they're gonna smoke it. There you go. It's a long drive.
0: They're they're Chris Tucker and Friday. They're they're gonna get high on their own supply. Uh Well, unfortunately for them, they don't get that far as they come across a hitchhiker on the side of the road who looks worse for fucking wear. Uh, Looks like she's had a rough couple years. Uh, They pick her up. She's crying in the car. Uh, They're driving down the road past a gas station. This hitchhiker just kind of uh, inexplicably, for no real understood reason to the viewing audience, freaks out, Um, very disturbingly pulls a a gun, a snub nose, out of her... um, uh, vagina, for lack of a better term, uh, turns the gun on herself. Just
1: use the, the anatomical term, yeah, for lack of a better term.
0: I, I'm, I was trying to say like crevasse, I couldn't really think of what to say. <laughs> she pulls the gun out, turns the gun on herself, shoots herself in the head, and in a moment of sheer terror and confusion, Marcus the Spell and the crew involved make sure to use it for a moment of, um, Visual bravado. breakthrough cinema.
1: <laughs> yes, I told you this is where uh, Scott Pilgrim got the idea for his opening sequence.
0: <laughs> if I remember correctly, it's a medical camera they use too. That they uh, so the shot in question is we get the horrified looks of those in the van as the shot repels out of the hole in the the woman's head that she shot. Right. Completely practical, by the way. You you could see this today with a bunch of bullshit CG. They actually
1: killed a woman <laughs> and they pulled the camera through the hole in the back of her head. By
0: any means necessary. Marcus
1: Nespel is an artiste.
0: That fucking Lars von Trier has killed at least seven people for his movies. <laughs>
1: and Nispel they're nowhere near as entertaining. Nispel, as can, the you
0: know. Uh there's a
1: reason why bush doesn't put out any singles anymore
0: it's what we call necessary sacrifices uh
1: so so this is the the first major twist for people that are familiar with the original right because in the original and it's an improvement also in the original uh they have a hitchhiker but of course the hitchhiker doesn't kill himself instead the hitchhiker cuts one of the guys and ends up just freaking them out Mm um it's it's an evil character uh and it always, one of the many, many gripes that I had, that we had with the original was just that it didn't make any sense for them to, want pick him up in the first place, to not kick him out five minutes into the ride, and, and just kind of react so underwhelmed uh, to all the crazy shit that he pulls. Yeah. Here, one, it makes sense that they would pick her up because it's it's a girl that looks pretty defenseless, and she's just traumatized. She obviously somebody that needs help. Uh, two... She doesn't stick around for too long. So really, there's no time for them to to react. It's just everything happens very quickly. She has like
0: four lines. Right. And then bang.
1: Exactly. And then the The reaction... The old Bud Dwyer. (laughs) The reaction to that is it's very believable. They stop. They freak out. uh, One of them throws up. There's just... Now, the movie has started.
0: Yeah. And then they ditch the weed in a moment of intelligence because they know the cops are going to be swarming around. Before too long. So uh, they are in the middle of nowhere. This was back in, uh, I believe, 2008 before all the condos got built everywhere in Austin. And all the fucking people from L.A. moved out here to think it was cool. So there it's actually, green there actually was lush greenery in country roads back then.
1: That's what this movie is. It's, a, it's an under- allegory for the... <laughs> Underneath it all, uh, Leatherface is just a, a nature warrior. <laughs>
0: Leatherface is an Austin native. And Defending the, the land. The rest of these people are fuckers that come here at South By and don't leave.
1: <laughs> Bringing their Mexican weed <laughs> and their bad manners.
0: They journey up the road. They find a gas station that's also a barbecue joint because it is Texas after all. It is central Texas, I should say. You ain't going to find that shit in Dallas. Um, they pull over, ask for the sheriff. The woman who runs the gas station says... Sheriff asked if you wouldn't go and mind him at the old Crawford mill. Uh, They head on over to this abandoned shack of an abandoned mill. Uh, Here we have kind of a built in tension, a a men versus woman thing here because they vote. There's no sheriff there. They go into a vote basically if they should just ditch the body and head up the road. Uh, And the women are the only people with any real true compassion.
1: As it is in real life.
0: Exactly. These jocks just want to dump the body and head off. And Jessica Beale has, uh, you know, kind of a mini monologue about, you know, that woman has parents that want to know where she is.
1: And Eric Balfour is, but we have Leonard Skinner tickets.
0: (laughs) Which may have had some leverage back in 73. I'm not entirely sure. Fair point, but
1: still. uh, I like it because. it's it's everything that the that the group dynamic didn't have in the original. The original, these kids, even after they run into the hitchhiker, they just kind of went on their way, and it was about thirty minutes of them just shooting the shit. They snuck into an old house. They wanted to go skinny dipping. There was no conflict. No. The biggest conflict was the guy in the wheelchair couldn't was get. Was Franklin past the... trying to get up the hill? <laughs> right. Yeah. But here, come on, Franklin. It's gonna be a real fun trip. No, Frankly, in this one, which is already a massive improvement, <laughs> uh, it, here there is, but there is conflict, right? So you have one, the fact that uh, one of the guys doesn't have a a, a girl because Eric before is, is uh, dating Jessica Biel, and then Blondie is Andy. dating... Andy is dating uh, the redhead Mike that's Vogel. not Jessica Biel. Yeah, and then... So then that leaves the other guy, the geek, the closest to a Franklin that this movie has, but he's not on a wheelchair, he's nowhere near as whiny. They,
0: they improve on that because he's the smartest one in the bunch, just right. no one listens to him.
1: Exactly. Um, and so Whereas
0: th- Franklin was the dumbest one in the bunch, but everyone listened to him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean... That was probably truer to to real life. But still, I'm watching a movie. Entertain me. Uh, so you have the, the sexual tension from just there being a one guy there that has to see the other two couples making out. Uh, then you have a detention from the weed because Jessica Biel, uh was not aware that they were bringing two pounds of weed and now she's mad at Eric Balfour. Yeah. Uh, then you have the tension of, holy shit, somebody just killed themselves in our van. And then the tension of, what are we supposed to do with the body? There's all these constant conflict, and uh, that was nowhere to be found in the original. So we're already way more engaged than we were in with the with the original Chainsaw Massacre, and we haven't even seen Leatherface.
0: They remain at the old Crawford Mill. They hear some uh, rustling around them. They come across a decrepit, young Andrew Garfield uh, playing the role <laughs> of Jediah, who we don't really know his relation to anything that's going on at this point, but he seems to know the score and the situation, the surrounding factors.
1: Yeah, this kid is probably one of the best additions to the story. Taken only to our me. Um, he,
0: he's the conscience of the film.
1: Right, but you wouldn't think so because, you know, we have our biases. And this kid, he he looks dirty, scrawny, he has bad teeth, like like Leatherface in the original. Mm-hmm. You automatically not just distrust him, but also are kind of repulsed by him. It's it's human nature. And then later the movie's gonna teach you that Well, shame on you. (laughs) This kid's the only one that gives a shit.
0: He explains that the sheriff isn't coming here. He's at home getting drunk. Uh, The road doesn't lead there, but I can show you where to go. He leads. uh, He basically, he doesn't lead. He tells Kemper and Aaron where to go looking for the sheriff. At this point, my note says literally this movie looks incredible. Uh, There is a sepia tone filter over the entire movie. But like Julio explained to me while we were watching it was it's a choice that makes sense.
1: Right, because you can't compete with the original. For all our problems with the original, it's still the original. So you could try to emulate the look and probably fail because unless you go out and grab, like, shitty cameras, it's not going to look as, as as rough, as as gritty as as it did back then. Uh, and also, who are you kidding? You have Jessica Biel as <laughs> your main character.
0: <laughs> but they're walking through the, the woods here, and, like... Whoever the location scout was for this did their due diligence. It, it, yeah, it looks fantastic. It's a
1: Terrence Malick movie for a moment. It's just, it's the trailer for Man of Steel.
0: A wild Arlie Ermey appears as the sheriff in this movie. He pulls up uh, next to the van with the dead body in it, and it quickly becomes the Arlie Ermey show, and God bless it for it.
1: Yeah, it's, we're all to gain from this. Uh, It's also, I mean, there's no, uh, there's a real counterpart to his character compared to the original. Maybe the, the shopkeeper, kind of, because um, we don't have a shopkeeper in this one. Mm-hmm. We have that woman that kind of tells him what the sheriff said, but that's about it. Uh, so
0: he is... Yeah, there's no dad character that's beating him with a stick at any point. Right. Yeah.
1: It's just... Uh, but this is the closest, I guess, to that kind of misdirection where originally, even though he's an asshole, you think, okay, but at least he's the law. Yeah. And then the big twist was this. Do you remember when you were when you watched it the first time? Did you ever believe that he was not a threat? Like, did you think that he was an actual cop? No. Right. Is that because you had watched the original or is that because the trailers spoiled it? Or is that just because it's, it's, you know... I
0: don't remember the trailers spoiled Or the army.
1: Yeah,
0: you know? I... I Likely because I had seen the original, but
1: no good will come from the Popo showing up.
0: Not just that, but the whole embedded sense of dread in the backwoods of Texas. Because even I think that was the whole point. I believed he was the sheriff, but I still believed he was a bad guy. (laughs) Kemper and Aaron actually find the house that they're looking for, and they are answered by an old uh, gentleman, a legless gentleman in a wheelchair says uh, Aaron can come in, call the sheriff. So she does.
1: Is that a a homage to Franklin?
0: (laughs) It might be. I think there's way too many homages that just went over ahead in this. She comes in, uses the phone, calls the sheriff. Sheriff says he'll be there in 30 minutes. Uh, She goes to leave. The gentleman in the wheelchair asks her for some help. Uh, Getting back in his wheelchair, we see a shot, fittingly enough, right after the upside He's emptying his catheter and, you know, asks for assistance.
1: Oh, okay. So I thought that he needed help getting on the toilet. No. No, he needs help getting back on the wheelchair? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Either way.
0: And he turns into a nasty old man quickly trying to grip on that wagon of Jessica Biel's. (laughs) I
1: was going to say, trick as old as time. Can you help (laughs) me back on toilet slash wheelchair slash regular chair? (laughs) Whatever it is, you know, poor nurses, they suffer the Can you the help most, me but... into this
0: Chili's booth? Yes.
1: <laughs> 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 but yeah, he, he gets so handsy right away. Oh, and very much so. Jessica Beale, she just kind of rolls her eyes, takes a deep breath, and it's like, whatever.
0: She's trying to help. Kemper grows impatient, though, comes in the house looking for because it is a huge house and laid out fairly confusingly. He's looking around, uh, wandering around the home, comes across a what appears to be like a television room. Cracks the door a little bit, and the uh, bell on the door falls down. He goes to pick it up, and we get our first shot of Leatherface as he claims his first victim. You know, no pussyfoot, no bullshitting around. He comes full into frame, axe to the back.
1: Yeah, it's uh, unexpected. Eric Balfour goes before any of the unknowns that are in the party. It's
0: uh, which again, he would have been one of the names,
1: right? I mean, he is uh he's Milo from Twenty Four. He's Gabe from Six Feet Under. He was. You knew him, and like I said earlier, I wasn't kidding, you knew him as a bad boy. So you expect him, if anything, the end of this movie is going to be him versus Leatherface. It's going to come down to that. It was not to be. With Jessica Beale screaming in the background.
0: He's the first to go, and cinematically a really awesome sequence.
1: Much better than the sort of random kill, that the first time that a victim is claimed in the original.
0: Uh, Just hammer to the head.
1: It's just like what what happened, and then it's gone before you can even process what happened. Here you get you get a lingering shot of uh, Ball Four getting dragged.
0: And they do make a point though to another homage. He slams the steel door shut. Right. Yeah. Um. Back at the car, they begin wrapping up the hitchhiker's body. Arlie Ermy has a big roll of Saran wrap, is making Morgan and Andy assist him and wrapping up this body. All the while, just making the most vulgar and. Fucking inhuman comments about the situation.
1: Now I'm not familiar with police uh procedure, but even to me this looked a little suspect. And I couldn't believe that they didn't, but I understand they were pretty shaken up by everything that happened. But it there just can't be you know, like the girl Pepper, she's kind of in the background saying, This doesn't seem right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't rap gunshot victims, even if they're dead, you don't wrap them in saran wrap to put them in the trunk of your car.
0: They, they're dumb kids. Is that what this movie... up on weed.
1: Is that something else this movie is telling you? Stupid white kids need to wisen up?
0: Yeah, because they're ruining Austin.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: I, I don't know. I, I don't know what this movie's trying to say. It's that I think... Uh, you're not as smart as you think you are, is what this movie's telling you.
1: Yes. Maybe spend less time smoking weed and going to uh, Leonard Skinner concerts and just kind of get some street
0: smarts. That's an evergreen statement.
1: <laughs> learn learn how to how to deal with the police, <laughs> how to deal with the backwoods.
0: How to deal with Arlie Ermey. I don't know if you will, can learn that. <laughs> he will mess your shit up in an instant. Aaron appears back at the van. Uh, she says you know where's Kemper the sheriff's on his way said sheriff already came a lot of confusion Uh, it leads to Aaron and Andy heading back to the house Uh, in the basement of this house where Leatherface's dungeon lies we get a shot of obviously a dead Eric Balfour uh, Leatherface uh, cutting his clothing off of him stringing him up presumably to disembowel him and then we get you know what a lot of the original was missing was any type of emotional attachment to our characters. We see a box fall out of uh, Kemper's pocket and it contains a, a tear-cut ring, a tear-cut diamond, I should say, that he was going to give to Aaron. And right. One of the... Uh, just your, your heart sinks.
1: Well, especially because it's being addressed earlier. One of the, the earlier interactions when before everything went to shit, before they picked up the hitchhiker, was her kind of hinting at the fact that he needed to propose, and in him just laughing about it, not being serious, and then to realize that he was going to propose at the <laughs> Leonard Skinner concert—that's just not just romantic, but epic. That,
0: that is the most nineteen seventy-three ass shit I've ever heard. <laughs> White dude proposing to his girlfriend at the Skinner concert in Dallas
1: during Freebird, probably.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So she
1: says. I hope they play Freebird. And I'm thinking, how could they not play Freebird?
0: He would probably do something, some b site. He would be like, he would propose during Give Me Three Steps or something like that.
1: <laughs> uh but what I enjoyed the most out of this sequence, more than the Diamond Ring. That was just cherry on top. But to me, it was just to see uh arts and crafts from Leatherface. We didn't get His that shot. at all. Yeah, and in, in, in the original, it's almost like we know the lore of Leatherface just because of uh the, the real life crimes that this has been inspired by and, mm-hmm. and just, I guess, a lot of a headcanon. The movie itself never shows you much of what he does with his victims. But here, we see it in detail more than once. Oh, he's yeah. there and he, there's more to him than than the chainsaw. Yeah, He's sawing, he's cutting, he has his chemicals to preserve stuff correctly. <laughs> he's, he knows what he's doing. He's not an idiot.
0: He's like a man that knows how to barbecue yeah <laughs> he may not be able to tell you what four plus four is but god damn it he knows what he's doing in his own field uh Aaron and Andy I keep saying that and realize I guess the <laughs> office probably took this yep yeah uh Aaron and Andy show up back at the house they are looking for their friend uh Aaron's trying to cause a diversion while Andy goes around the property and looks for Kemper the old man catches on he's like what the hell's going on in my house uh, he then begins signaling uh, almost like a smoke signal or uh, I've heard back in the old Indian days, they would put their ear to the ground to listen for uh hoof. Yeah. 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 Hoof prints or uh, whatever it does. It wakes up Leatherface. Leatherface
1: puts his ear to the ceiling. I yes. guess he's that tall that he can hear. <laughs> he's,
0: he, he does the Grinch where he <laughs> <laughs> peeks his ear out and puts his hand to his ear, Hulk Hogan style. And uh after the old man's beating on the floor with his cane, basically letting him know, get your big ass up here. Door flies open. He revs up his chainsaw. Just a moment of sheer terror from Jessica Biel. Uh, the scream she lets out is mm, magnifique scream queen stuff. She books it, tries to lock in Leatherface using a door. The gentleman in the wheelchair is trying to pin down Andy to make sure he's defenseless, because Andy has, I believe, a tire iron. To yeah, he himself. has one of those. Uh, Leatherface comes through. He blocks the chainsaw with the tire iron. Chases both of them out the door. It's pretty. This is
1: pretty awesome. This was the first time that I cared for them really as people because Blondie Andy, he he blocks the chainsaw with his tire iron, and uh, and then he tells Jessica Beale run. Yeah, which is just the humanity of that act is way beyond anything any of the characters in the original Chainsaw Massacre ever showed. And to be fair. They go down pretty quickly, so it's really... Most of the movie is just Marilyn Burns, so what's she going to do? She's not going to sacrifice herself for anybody. But here, uh, one of the brilliant moves is that they space out the kills, so you get to spend more time with all the characters, and all the characters together get to face the threats, which gives all the characters the chance to redeem themselves, their shitty actions from the past, by sacrificing themselves for their friends.
0: Correct. Aaron gets away, takes off back to the van. Andy is worse for wear running outside. And for me as a kid that was raised on Halloween and stuff, where a lot of things happen at night, I it's still to this day for me, it's always so much more scary when it happens in the daylight and he's trying to flee the scene and run away and running through a field of laundry on the, on a clothesline and, he just takes one wrong step and Leatherface is there and cuts his, from the knee down, cuts his uh, left leg off.
1: It's a beautiful chase, though. Before you get to that point, he's just, it's like ballet. Just, they're just going in and out of, uh, you know, the the sheets are, like, back and forth, covering them. They're running. It's uh, going back to Malik. It's a Malik movie. And uh, you don't see that in horror.
0: Uh, and there's a flashback to... Uh, Brad Pitt punching a young leather face in the face and you know exploding. grabbing him by the neck and yeah. just
1: dragging him to the dinner table. Champagne's voice though. <laughs> I loved him. What is life? My face
0: felt like leather.
1: <laughs> what is the chainsaw?
0: <laughs> the saw is family. <laughs> Andy's done. Leg cut off. Aaron gets back to the van. Uh Arlie Ermey shows back up and Again, there's no reason for him to be there, so the fact that they're not recognizing this is something potentially problematic.
1: To be fair, I mean, Jessica Biel is not on her right mind at this point.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely not. And I think now is as good a time as any to just express... I don't think Jessica Biel understood that she was better than this movie. And <laughs> uh, that's not to put the movie down at all. It's just that Jessica Biel is, a, so much sh- better. <laughs> is a shining light of hope in this world. And her performance in this is... Some would call overreaching. I call, you know, as an audience member, I'm undeserving of it.
1: Yes, I agree in every single aspect. And I know we come across, we we may come across as, as just dirty old man. Be, but the fact is the physicality of it, the, the aesthetic part of, of her performance cannot be ignored. I mean, no. she has to have been vacuum sealed into those clothes. And I can only imagine... How many hours had to be spent just peeling her off those clothes whenever there was a costume change? That is an aesthetic choice made by the director and the performer and the actress. Just and it works.
0: The mis- spell with the welding mask on. <laughs> Hold mighty still, girl. You know, once again, we come
1: down to the contrast between the ugliness of everything that's happening and the beauty of just Jessica Beale mm-hmm. on a white tank top super tight jeans that's just occasionally a hat right that that doesn't just happen you know that is meticulously planned by everybody the production design every single person uh, maybe not the screenwriter i don't know the screenwriter went as far as to say (laughs) insert (laughs) yeah Uh, but you know it goes back to how far away can they get from the original the original was just like all ugly all the time but this it just gives you the conflicting emotions of, wow, she's so hot. Oh my God. It's so horrible. What everything yeah. that's happening. And Blondie's not, not bad to look at either. Oh so. God.
0: No, they put him in that wife beater and his traps and his fucking delts are just popping the whole time. Love it. Well, until the next scene with him, but you know, uh, Arlie army shows back up. He finds a roach in their car uh, and says, you know, what the hell is this? You guys have been taking drugs. Get the fuck out of the car. And at this point, it just becomes kind of, you know, uh, almost like a a fetishized torture scene for him. And as an audience member, now you're picking up like, all right, this guy's not on a level.
1: (laughs) I've seen bad cops, but even then,
0: yeah, Nick Nolte would never do this. Pulling a gun out for a roach like that. I mean, come on now.
1: I mean, it is Texas.
0: That's true. It's backwoods, Texas. They don't know how to respond to most things.
1: (laughs) But I do have a gun.
0: You're a girl. He's got a gun. <laughs> Back at Hewitt Manor, as we do learn, they are the Hewitt family uh, in the basement. Andy is w- worse for wear without a leg. And here we get it wouldn't be a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film without the, the hook, the infamous meat hook. Um, I
1: appreciate it, though, that when you when the scene is over, you're not thinking of the hook. But once again, you're just impressed by Leatherface ingenuity.
0: Yes, so he hangs him on the hook, and while he's got that to worry about, like a true butcher, a a true five star chef, he's a pro. Yes, Leatherface gets a big handful of rock salt, uh, puts it on the wound to kind of just shrivel it up and give it a little seasoning. And then he gets out a big sheet of butcher paper and ties off the wound. There, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to know what he's serving, but I definitely buy barbecue <laughs> from this guy.
1: Five stars on Yelp. <laughs>
0: tasted delicious don't know what it was <laughs> don't want to know don't want to know uh back at the van uh early army and morgan have a showdown as he is they're catching on to the fact that he's torturing him at this point he puts him in the van he wants him to reenact exactly what happened with the girl killing herself uh, and he's just basically trying to goad him into shooting himself whereas uh morgan finally turns the gun on Arlie army and there's this is just pure chaos as you have Pepper yelling at him to shoot him, Aaron saying, put the gun down. Uh, Morgan is like literally frothing at the mouth, vomiting in this scene, and then Arlie Erme just you know, cool as a cucumber sailing on the Antarctic at this point.
1: Yeah, um, this is it was weird. I know it's 2003, but still, just it becomes this mini short film of three white youths oppressed by the police, <laughs> and really. Even as an audience member, you're not sure what the right answer is. Half of you is with Pepper. And yeah, shoot him. Half of you is with Jessica Biel. Now you're going to make this worse? Pretty sure nobody is with uh Jonathan Morgan. Tucker <laughs> Yeah, Morgan. <laughs> like, I, no, I don't want to think about that guy. He pulls off um, a pretty convincing quivering lower lip. Yes. Which is kind of the, the bastard child of the single tier when it comes to great acting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Oscar award movies get the single tier. Pop Entertainment gets the quivering lower lip. They're both great. Not everybody can pull them off. No. This guy can.
0: He finally does pull the gun on Arlie Ermey, and he pulls the trigger and wouldn't you know it, the gun's not loaded.
1: It's like a big like uh piece of cloth that says bang <laughs> comes out of it.
0: Act of hubris, also an act of naivety. Didn't check it. So Arlie Ermy takes the gun back, pulls his real magnum out, puts it to his head, says, Get in the fucking car, you know, you're under arrest for trying to kill a police officer. Tells the girls to stay there. Driving back to the home, uh, Morgan doesn't know where he's going, but the sheriff surely does, and we as the audience know exactly where he's heading. He's on the CB back at the house. Uh, he actually uses a line, those two fillies are good to go. So we cut back to the van, and Aaron is uh, with Pepper. She's attempting to hotwire the van. We learn quickly that she's picked up some tricks from her older brothers. Uh, she picks a lock earlier in the movie, and, you know, she kind of. Is a woman of all trades, a superwoman of all trades, I should say.
1: It's a woman from the year 2000. She's no longer a victim. Nothing against Marilyn Burns in the original, but she was basically just there to to take the hits, to endure the torture. But uh, as society has advanced... Society. Society. uh, It turns out that women in movies can do more than just be passive and just resist until... They either manage to escape or somebody comes to save them.
0: Dude, Aaron was a Ripley for a new generation. No kidding. Looked hot as shit and kicks a lot of ass. She finally gets the van hotwired, goes to take off, but the van, unfortunately, has been sabotaged as the two front wheels fall off. And you don't even have a moment to take half a breath after that happens when a chainsaw comes through the rear window of the car. Uh, Leatherface is on the scene. Just going ham, chopping through the cars, chopping through all the windows. Uh, Pepper flees and tries to run, just run for it. He jumps off the top of the car, tackles her, takes her out. Uh, she's wearing like a puffed-up feather jacket, and he just skewers her on the chainsaw. And feathers fly everywhere.
1: It's a it's a beautiful death. <laughs> Jessica the Beale. The imagery is just
0: <laughs> Jessica Beale's front seat of the car. Uh, the headlights are still on. Leatherface turns around, and he's wearing. Eric Balfour's face. He's wearing Kemper's face.
1: Every time you think that you've seen the last of Eric Balfour, <laughs> the movie rewards you by saying, nope, here's a little bit more. The only thing that was missing, hell of a missed opportunity, would be for Leatherface today then get on his knees <laughs> and, and pull out the ring.
0: She'd be so confused she wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> she takes off running, as any normal person would in this situation. She... Runs, runs, runs so far away. She finds herself uh, at a trailer home, bangs on the door, and is welcome in. Uh, my note just says weirdos in a trailer because it's two of the more off putting people I've ever seen in my life.
1: And once again, showing that women have come a long way, they can also be creepy now. Yes. So these two creepy weirdos uh, take advantage of how just out of sorts Jessica Beale is because I wouldn't get tea from anyone. No, anyone in in that area, but she's just pretty freaked out. So she makes a mistake of drinking some tea,
0: was laced or something. Yeah, knocks her out. But during this, she drinks her tea, and it basically turns into a fever dream. And what she figures out is she's given Leatherface's backstory that he was a bullied child. So number one, don't bully people.
1: <laughs> she is paying for the sins of her white forefathers. <laughs> you know, because you know the people bullying. Uh, Leather face were white.
0: He had skin disease, and at one point in the movie, we actually see him take off the leather face, and we see that a lot of his face is deteriorating. Thank away. you.
1: The entire movie during the original Phantom I was of like, the Opera type it, shit. Yeah, can we please get a good shot of his face? I, I need to connect a little better with this uh, bad guy, and we finally get it on the remake. He doesn't yeah. have a nose.
0: <laughs> he does not. And then we find uh, one of the women in the trailer holding a baby who. Uh, through a series of pictures that are found kind of sequentially throughout the movie. Turns out this baby belonged to the hitchhiker from the beginning.
1: Right. So it's a pretty cool There's some sub-plot.
0: serious interwoven shit going on here.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's so much richer than the bare bones so-called plot of the original because here you have this thing, right? Yeah, because at some point they're in this uh junkyard and they're looking for uh, Eric Balfour and they find uh, a jar full of some... Questionable Liquid, and it has a picture of an entire family, and they recognize the hitchhiker there, Yes, that's and they right. see that there's more people, and now she sees, just a bit later in this trailer, she sees that same picture, and then she sees the baby, and so she figures out that, yeah, these, these creeps just killed this entire family, kept the baby. And what it does, in addition to just adding more layers to the plot, is just simply it gives us a way out of this nightmare. It gives us a way to a happy ending in a way that, a happy, satisfying ending in a way that the original didn't.
0: So Jessica Biel has been drugged by this tea. She passes out. She wakes back up at the house. Arlie Ermey standing over her. Obviously, just a fit of terror. The house is full at this point. We have the old man. We have the old woman from the gas station earlier in the movie. And she instructs uh, Thomas Brown Hewitt, Leatherface's, his his given name, his shoot name, to get in there and take care of business. So he throws her down in the basement only for her to find her friend Andy uh, hanging from a meat hook.
1: What's the creepiest thing in this movie, Alex? Because that's a, the creepiest image, image for me. The creepiest image in the movie is Jessica Bill waking up and she is... Her head is between Arlie Army's legs. He's not wearing any pants. He's in his and boxers. He's like pouring the beer pouring on her beer, Which prompted the question, not who's the real villain of the movie, but... Who's the creepiest villain in the movie, Arlie Army or Leatherface?
0: Well, that's the whole thing with the part four, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation, because Leatherface is like a secondary character, because I guess to make a comparison, Matthew McConaughey plays the Arlie Army role. He's the crazy brother in it. And so I think they kind of took some inspiration from that.
1: Yeah. The beauty of this movie is that you don't have to
0: choose. You'll get them both. (laughs) Exactly. As far as the creepiest moment shit, I think we'll get to it at the end, because I didn't know this was a real story.
1: Well, spoiler alert.
0: Actual police footage was found. She finds Andy hanging from the meat hook. She tries all she can to uh, rescue him, help her friend out, but she knows the score. He instructs her to finish it. She grabs a a knife from a nearby table. And this is brilliant, like, psychological torture on the part of this family because... He could just kill them both. Leatherface could kill them both right there, but he wants to, you know, make them suffer together, type thing.
1: I think it's uh, it's her own, his it's his undoing in the end because having to kill her friend, I think, just finally gets Jessica Biel in a position where she's done and she might actually be able to hurt Leatherface. She stops being terrorized and and really gets to uh,
0: It to galvanizes her.
1: It galvanizes her. Perfect word.
0: Takes a big knife finishes the job, kills her friend, Andy. She finds a uh, Morgan uh, hunched over in a bathtub with a big old hole in his back. So he's clearly not been having the best of times. Uh, she wakes him up and says, we got to get out of here. Uh, the young boy from earlier, a young Andrew Garfield reappears. Jedi is the the name of the little boy helps them escape. Uh, and the hunt is on. It's uh, it's like Fox catcher. This is like all the underground tunnels and everything that they're going through. Uh, this little boy leads them to the, the surface. Uh, they escape for the time being. Leatherface <laughs> basically bitch slaps this little boy that after he tries to bite him.
1: Uh, it's It offers something else that the original didn't have, which is redemption for the backwoods. Not everybody is rotten and murderous there. Some people actually have a soul.
0: Nothing more innocent than that of a young child. <laughs> yeah. They take off running. They find a nearby shed that they try to take solace there... Uh, shelter in i should say uh, they hide but eventually leatherface makes his way in uh, through a series of creaks and cracks in the wall he locates jessica Beale's location gets her has her ready for the kill morgan comes to save the day and this again adds to what you're talking about earlier the humanity of it because she's on the ground getting ready to get killed and she tells morgan to run
1: right and uh i mean it's also she could have just left him back mm-hmm. there but just jessica Beale leave no man behind she grabbed him even though he was slowing her down to at least a tenth of her regular speed because he can barely walk. So it's great to see this guy who's been kind of a chump. Out of everybody there, he's been the chumpiest. Oh, yeah. And now he gets his hero moment
0: by uh, saving Jessica Biel. He would pay for that save, though. Wouldn't you, though? as He's uh, he's still handcuffed from his interactions with Arlie Ermey, hung from a chandelier, and then the chainsaw splits him from the crotch up. It's a pretty brutal way to go. But the chase is back on. Jessica Biel finds her way at the meat factory that they drove past at the beginning of the movie, goes inside looking for shelter once again, anything she can do for uh, to get away from what's going on. Uh, and it's just basically a chase sequence through all these hanging cow corpses. and.
1: Um, it's another opportunity also to see Leatherface as more than just this brute wielding a, a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. He's smart. He pushes the button that makes the the meat on on the hooks just kind of spin around like go around. So uh so Jessica Biel can't really hide.
0: Then he also turns on the the uh, sprinkler system for basically being able to hear and track down where where she is.
1: This this is smart inbred backwards <laughs> brute.
0: <laughs> ain't your ain't your grandpa's leather face that we're dealing <laughs> with here.
1: He also uh uh, this is pull- the Michael Scarn of Leather Faces. <laughs> yeah. He pulls out his phone and he calls uh, Jessica Biel's cell phone.
0: <laughs> he, he checks her latest Instagram post and where she tagged <laughs> it. It's a game of cat and mouse because you got to have something like that in any slasher movie. Uh, Aaron finally is able to hide in a series of lockers. She grabs a uh, meat cleaver. A meat cleaver, yeah. yeah. She grabs a meat cleaver off one of the chopping blocks, excuse me, and then runs and takes shelter in a locker and Leatherface comes, walks up and down the aisle, doesn't spot her. He's fixing to move on. Go look elsewhere. And at this point, she's had enough. She's lost all her friends. She's lost a part of herself to the point where she bangs a locker just to attract attention.
1: So was she just, fuck it. It's just you and me, buddy. We're gonna go at it and we'll see who comes out Victor. Or has she planted the pig that was on the next locker that ends up being... (laughs) I couldn't tell. Either way, it's great, but...
0: Because when Leatherface comes to the locker, he's hearing the noise from, it's just a baby pig in there.
1: Right, and that distracts him enough for her to come out of the actual locker she's in. With
0: about four wax, cuts his arm completely off with the meat cleaver. Beautiful. I couldn't do it. I think it was just, you know, for all the compliments we have about Leatherface's intelligence, I think, you know, it was his downfall, his hubris. He thought he had found it and... She just kind of lucked out. I think she was just standing there ready to swing.
1: As smart as she as he is, uh, he can't tell pig noise from woman noise.
0: Can't tell a a, a pig scoffing from a human screaming, "Hey!" <laughs> <laughs> Aaron runs out of the street. She's trying to get away. A trucker pulls over and picks her up. At this point though, we go all the way back to the beginning of the movie. She is the hitchhiker from the beginning. She sees the sign for the barbecue station they're pulling up on. She's screaming, No, we're going the wrong way. We need to turn around. She's grabbing the wheel from the trucker, trying to get away. Uh, he pulls over at the uh, barbecue stand where the mother, the kidnapped baby, the, I guess, sister or potentially wife, whoever, and of course, Arlie Army. Arlie Army. They're all there. No um,
1: longer dressed as a cop, right? Or is it just like no, he has he a is. jacket on? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because he wears the hat and he's got the gun and, um, the trucker explains, you know, I got some crazy woman out here. We never know what happens to the trucker, but.
1: I mean, if history is any uh, <laughs> indication.
0: I doubt it's good. So Aaron is able to hotwire the cop car and using that is able to uh, run over early Ermie and kill him. All the while, while this, I forgot to mention, while the distraction was created by the truck driver, she steals the baby. So
1: hence the actual happy ending. Yes. Because, you know, if it was just Jessica Beale driving away you'd be like, eh, you know what? That's uh, Maybe it's a little better than um, Marilyn Burns just crying hysterically in the back of a truck, but it's no better than Jesse Pinkman driving away at the end of Breaking Bad. So not necessarily satisfying. Also crying hysterically. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you have a baby here. There's the, That's the promise of the future. Yes. She can't lose her shit. He, she, had a, she has an infant to take care of.
0: So she runs over early army... Th- Three times, making sure the job is done. And she does have this baby. Think we're away. Any great slasher movie. One last scare. Leatherface comes out of the woods, hits the car with the chainsaw. Good spark effect. But, of course, he only has one arm, so there's not really much he can do.
1: Is he – I know he was doing this in the the previous scene, last time we saw him. I don't know if he was doing it in this one because we've been praising how smart he is, but he's also a little dumb (laughs) because instead of picking up the chainsaw, he picks up the arm that has the chainsaw. (laughs)
0: And he's banging it back and forth between lockers <laughs> trying to get the chainsaw free. Yeah, book smarts elude him.
1: He has a very limited uh, set of skills. Um,
0: They're very efficient. Right, yeah. but
1: but the the area they cover is very limited.
0: And we think that's it, but it's not. Because we forgot from the beginning of the movie this is a true story. So we finish with the actual police footage from the crime scene.
1: Do we get Laroquette again?
0: We do. Yeah. And he explains that the crime scene was not properly secure, and we see the real leatherface come out and kill two police officers, and we get the only known shot of this man. And then it ends saying he's still out there. And I fucking went and locked the door immediately. <laughs> How am I supposed to live in this this Travis County? Knowing this fucker's still on the loose,
1: and John Laroquette said it, so you know it's true.
0: I mean, this was a while ago, so he may not be as spry and <laughs> yeah, he's down to one arm at this point, so
1: he can barely lift a chainsaw now.
0: He is, he is grandpa from the original now.
1: <laughs> I mean, his sewing has uh, suffered from just only having one hand to work with.
0: But no, you know, real or not, what you have to applaud the movie for was giving audience fictional terror and then also non fictional terror. It's like this sandwich of
1: right because you know what
0: is real and what is not.
1: Once you manage to disconnect from what you've been watching in the back of your head and then in the front of your head you go, Well, it's okay. It's just a movie. Jessica Biel is okay. She was in London. <laughs> but but then they add that that coda and Laro Kid is- saying, but it is based on a true story and there's footage of this guy. And
0: by the time they presented that, she was already into the stratosphere on her way to London. (laughs) Said, leave me alone. I gave you what you wanted. Now let me...
1: Are you not her me
0: Let me go yell at Chris Evans in some very ridiculous scenes. Oh, God, this movie's such a blast. All right. Violent as all hell. Let's go to real talk.
1: Orion, what's going on?
0: You okay? You girls stay in the dirt till I tell you different. You motherfucker! Get on the fucking floor! Please.
1: I stick get to the floor!
0: What the hell are you doing?
1: What are you going to do? Shoot me! Morgan, please,
0: please, just please, put the gun down, okay? Please don't. Oh my God, Morgan! You lying fuck! You could kill me right now. Get out of here, Scott Free, couldn't you? Morgan, P- please. Just put it down. He shoots me! You're accomplice to murder. Morgan, please. You too. Please. Oh, Just as guilty as him. Morgan, dude, yeah, fucking shoot him. You Put the gun down, Morgan. Shoot him. Don't fucking do it, please. You don't have the fucking balls, oh, do you? Don't shoot him, Morgan. <laughs> Morgan shoot him,
1: shoot him, shoot him. Pull the fucking trigger. Fuck oh, you.
0: Well, well, well. Looky here. Oh my God, Morgan. We got ourselves a killer. Only this time, you killed share sheriff.
1: And we are recording for Real Talk for the Chainsaw Massacre remake.
0: All right, so, 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake was released once more on October 17th, 2003. Budget of around $10 million. Uh, box office return of a little over $100 million. So, you know, did a decent chunk of change of the box office. The first... Theatrical release directed by Marcus Nispel, who would go on to release or direct. Excuse me. uh, Nothing of note. Um, (laughs) Previous to 2003, though, of very high note, he directed the music videos for No Doubt's Spiderwebs, uh, Spice Girls Spice Up Your Life. Fuck Yes, Victory by Puff Daddy and the Family featuring the Notorious B.I.G. and Busta Rhymes. (laughs) Amongst others, he worked with a lot of people. Amy Grant, Gloria Estefan, B-52s, Billy Joel, Elton John, Faith No More. Dude got around in the music industry.
1: It kind of prepared him for uh, the undertaking that would be this gory, brutal, ultra-violent.
0: What a leap. (laughs) What a leap and what a project to start on.
1: Right? Because when, when Rob Zombie makes a movie after being a musician for a while... It it kind of made sense.
0: Well, the, yeah, because he like did like uh, I forget what the, the actual technical or the genre term is, but that horror music, horror core, whatever it's called. Like, I mean, his performances and shit. Yeah, it all kind of made sense. It, it, his it last name is itself. Zombie. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I didn't. I, that should have been the immediate thing I gone to, <laughs> but um, yeah, when Michael Bay. Decided he wanted to start producing a line of horror movies. This is where he went to. And, uh, gotta love him for it. Scott Kosar, Kosar, again, apologies, if mispronounced the name, wrote the screenplay. Uh, also the same guy wrote The Machinist. Uh, 37% of Rotten Tomatoes. So, in the eyes of many, it is shite. <laughs> in the eyes of few.
1: Yeah. Some people, some people bought the. The special ultra deluxe chainsaw edition of the Blu-ray, like you. Thank you. Um, Starting with uh, Harry Guering from RTE Ireland. He says, has that rare quality of not thinking too much of itself, but knowing exactly what it is capable of. Okay. Addison McDonald from Premiere Magazine says, Beale rises above the rest of the cast as a compelling protagonist in a role that mostly requires her to scream and run around in a tight tank top. No arguments here. Nope. Walter Chaw from Film Freak Central. Most resembles not Toby Hooper's 1974 masterpiece, but James Cameron's 1986 masterpiece, Aliens. What? What? I mean, we'll let you, we'll let you have it, Walter Chaw, because, you know, we like you, but <laughs> that didn't make any sense. Finally, John Venable from Supercala.com says, All about style and Jessica Biel in a wet t-shirt. What's wrong with that? Not
0: much. What year was that written <laughs> Uh, doesn't
1: say, but...
0: According to the IMDb page, Jessica Biel's outfit in the film, which consisted of a tank top, bootcut jeans, and boots, she thoroughly enjoyed wearing throughout the filming, especially the jeans. I mean, they look comfortable.
1: Uh, I mean, I guess. Uh, Tight jeans look good. They don't feel good.
0: If I could bleed into... Some of my knowledge of wardrobing and uh, especially from the pro wrestling world, seeing guys that wear jeans when they wrestle. I'm pretty sure she had a pair of those like gimmick jeans on that were like form fitting, but also not entirely made of denim. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, point being, in, in my opinion, what she wore in this was probably a bit easier to operate in and, you know, act in than Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman suit <laughs> in Batman Returns. <laughs>
1: There has to be a happy medium between <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, I'm not complaining.
0: It's Danny McBride in the fucking Pineapple Express, just like sweatpants <laughs> in a tank top.
1: I mean, in the end.
0: Uh, bu- 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 we'll get to it. Okay. Because Jessica Biel is going to be her own chapter. I this. just
1: want to know what Martin Scorsese thinks about it.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. He'd actually probably be more complimentary of this than a Marvel movie.
1: But is it cinema At least they tried already. something. Okay. <laughs> they tried something.
0: <laughs> All right. So are you ready for this? Dolph Lundgren was first considered to play Leatherface. Go for it. But he turned them down so he could spend time with his family. <laughs> oh, come on. You um, can do both. Marilyn Manson was originally supposed to be the composer of the score, but had to drop out. One of, I guess, three issues I have with the movie is the score, so that would have been really interesting to me if that had come to fruition. Kirsten Dunst, Katie Holmes, and Jessica Alba were all considered to play Aaron.
1: All right, so Kirsten Dunst, too smart. You know, like the image.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll
1: be like, she wouldn't be caught dead walking into that house. Uh, Katie Holmes, I can can buy her as being naive enough. She's too good. I totally buy her sacrificing herself for her friends, but... I don't know that she would play it along with the the costuming choices.
0: And I hate to say range is required to be like a scream queen, but I don't see Jessica Alba being able to pull off a convincing.
1: I feel like she's been in horror movies, though. Has she not? She was in Idle Hands. I haven't seen Idle Hands. I haven't seen The Eye. eye.
0: That's not a slasher movie, though. Anyway.
1: She could definitely pull off the uh, the aesthetic. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Evan Rachel Wood was uh, in contention for the role of the hitchhiker.
1: Uh, she would have nailed that.
0: The three lines or whatever. As Hulu and I discussed while watching the movie, Roger Ebert gave this film his uh, elusive zero star rating, which I might have to go back and read it because I have some, I think I can make some merit for this.
1: Well, I mean, he wasn't even a big fan of the original. Didn't we quote him on the last yeah, episode? No, he,
0: I don't know if too many of the slasher movies he genuinely enjoyed. I always have in my back pocket him and um, Siskel just glowing about Mask of the Phantasm when that came <laughs> out. And they just talked about like being mad that it wasn't doing better. Uh, Anytime
1: that you get mad at Ebert for a bad take, you just think back. Of, oh, yeah. Uh, Mask of the Phantasm and forgive everything.
0: Yeah. it's Every time I remember he gave the master two stars. It's like, <laughs> all right, you were here for you were with me for this. So. The severed head of Harry J. Knowles from Ain't It Cool News can be seen in the basement. I had no idea who this fucker was and didn't know what that was until I watched a documentary on the making of this. Julio immediately called it out <laughs> when we were watching He's it. kind
1: of a... Uh, you can't... I mean, I guess once you know what he looks like, then it's impossible not to see it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. Did you ever frequent his website, Ain't It Cool News?
0: Uh, some. I've read a couple of interviews on it, but it's not. It was never in like my regular rotation. Yeah,
1: same here. And it was that that was before I even moved to the states. It was you know at the time it seemed like a cool place to go online and just kind of get I don't know a peek behind the industry or whatever, right? But then uh, I, I want to say even probably even before I moved here, I was already done with it. It was just uh, with his articles. I mean, apparently, uh, apparently I don't know, for a fact, a lot of people writing for that website then went on and and just. Got careers writing. Yeah. Right. But uh, uh, the the Harry Knowles style, which was very, uh, I'm going to throw in a lot about my personal life here before I even get to the review of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it just, I got tired of that pretty quickly.
0: So, the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. What did we learn, Palmer? <laughs> uh, Andrew Bryanarski played the role of Leatherface of Zangief fame and whatever the fuck he played in Hudson Hawk. And basically, just a um, s- glorified stunt man, but he apparently sold uh, Michael Bay. Like he found out this was going to be a thing. Michael Bay was producing, and he like found him at a party, like a Hollywood party, and was like,
1: pulled out his chainsaw, give I was
0: it, <laughs> give it to me. Um, do we want to start with the bad or the good?
1: Well, I want to start with going back to last episode, and then going back to that quote from earlier. Okay, but why? <laughs> okay so obviously money right if why why would you make a remake of what would you make any remake right either because you think it's going to make a lot of money or because you have a different take on on the on the original or both in this case do you think that they had something new to say
0: um no i think they tried their best to make it seem different Right, uh, But it's still just people getting <laughs> killed by Leatherface and then a big final climatic chase with a heroine and the villain.
1: I mean, the differences are not they don't add any meaning. They just add, you know, oh, well, so it's a happy ending instead of, a, I mean, happy, happier, I guess, than the original. And then there's a, there's arguably more characterization it's a little more depth to the characters just a a tiny little bit and there's more it looks different uh but
0: i did laugh uh one of the trivia things i didn't read on the imdb but like something i one of the blurbs on it is despite being presented as an actual crime scene this movie was a work of pure fiction Thank you. I have DB. There's still someone. 67 know, people found this useful. You know, you know, there's someone in this world that still thinks that's real ass shit. Like, that's real footage, man. I saw it. And, you know, they probably think 9 11 was staged, but, you know.
1: Well, you live in Travis County? Man, you got to be careful.
0: <laughs> that Thomas Hewitt's still on the loose. <laughs> well, for someone who, if you're a longtime listener or if you just know me, that at this point in my life is repulsed by remakes because it's just every other movie that but why question is pretty common 2003 that wasn't as big of a thing and i think it was just i think it was the beginning of the the wave hadn't broken yet but it was starting to arc of the well we're running out of ideas (laughs) so let's see if we can rehash some shit that being said and i don't know if this is where you meant for this to go yet but uh it's way more well intended and way more effortful than so many other remakes.
1: I think so. I think so. I just, because, and I guess I wanted to start with that because that was my main, like the main thing I was wrestling with as I was watching it, especially after watching the original so recently, just last week, which was, this is just a shinier, better produced version of the last one.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I mean, you know, I, I'm talking about like just the way it looks. Oh,
0: I'm, I'm fucking with you. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, my, I think. My unabashed love for the original know where it will go. But this one, we can both agree it looks incredible. Right,
1: right, right. But but at the same time, it's like I told you, it's it's a very I understand that choice. But then once you put when you put the two movies side to side, well to me, the way that the original is shot is more effective. Oh
0: yeah. You, you know you lose That's, so much of the actual horror in making it a shiny, really fancy Hollywood movie. Right.
1: But at the same time, I'm glad that they just decided to m- take that direction because I don't know what's what was the best that they could do they could make it as gritty and nasty as the original and then it's like what's the point yeah <laughs> you know but then what's the point this is the whole thing during the movie because like you said it's still a movie where a group of young people fall in the hands of these creeps and they get tortured and then one of them escapes
0: to me this movie is what a remake is supposed to be It's kind of a re-envisioning of it, but it's also, hey, we're doing this same thing, but with today's technology and making it look better type thing. I think
1: technology-wise, it definitely achieves that, Uh, and the performances are better. Um, I mean, you know, for what it's required. I I was about to say,
0: I'm not trying to downplay anyone else, but I think we can both agree Jessica Biel is so much better than this movie.
1: Yes, Uh, but all the others... Uh, you know, Marilyn they Burns, right? Marilyn Burns was great in the original, um, but what was asked of her was a lot less than what they ask of Jessica Biel here. Oh,
0: absolutely. And
1: uh, and then all the others were just you know they were non entities. So and then in our, the original in the original, yeah, yeah, like the the other kids, you know.
0: Hey, <laughs> all right, guys, <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: So. So, yeah, as far as technology and just where we are in filmmaking, you know, but as far as the soul of the movie, so to speak, and you're going to you're gonna hate this, but, you know, just to bring up what I think of something else that a remake should do should be to place the story, whatever you're remaking in, you know, if you're making it today that you're making it with today's eyes. And I think that that's what this one might be lacking, because it doesn't really feel like a movie of the 2000s other than the technology and the acting. It's just i mean if you say it's set on the 70s you're in the 70s for me to make it a really special remake it should be a movie set in the 70s but seen through the 2000s eyes and it's like we have the 2000s technology and the two thousands school of acting the thousands millions of dollars but what is it saying about the world in the 2000s that was not said about the world in the 70s you know it's it. it that's what I'm, I think I'm missing for this to be a completely justified remake. Now, most of those re- most of the remakes that get cranked out, I mean, don't have that. Yeah. They don't have that uh, uh, aspiration anyway. But also because they're shit, you don't even get to the point where you're asking that question. This one, because it's well produced and it does a pretty good job of just, in my opinion, capturing uh, the horror that the original had. Then you move on to the next question. It's like, okay, so you got that part right. Yeah but why, <laughs> you know? And I think that that's where I was, when you were asking me, okay, so how do I feel about it? Uh, and the second time I watched it, the first time I watched it, uh, I hadn't seen the, you know, so I watched it when it came out, so 2003. No. And I hadn't seen the original since like 1997, I want to say. So that was like a long time. All I remember of the original was what I told you I remembered last week when we were watching it, you know, just like the really horrible things, the hook and the old man sucking on the girl's, finger and just the overall horror of it so i remember watching it in theaters and being surprised at how much story there was yeah there was definitely it felt like there was a lot more plot than i remember and i liked it because i was bracing myself for 90 minutes of just like you know relentless horror
0: it gets to the point of almost like that ready to burst zipper or you know whatever because they walk right up to the line and for some people i know overwalk it of trying to put too much exposition into it and i I kind of now appreciate it watching at the time i didn't really care because i was fucking 15 and just like oh cool but (laughs) you know um they try to expand and i think that's kind of to your point of why someone thought they could tell the story better or you know improve it and it it pretty much works it's not anywhere as bad as jason being a weed farmer or uh, <laughs> the levels of depravity that the Nightmare on Elm Street remake went to, or, um, you know.
1: I mean, the backstory that they give us on Leatherface was cool. That worked, and
0: at the same time, you know, to counteract my own like uh, compliment, that's what so many. And I've talked about Rob Zombie's Halloween. That's what. That's the fucking point. If you explain why the way they are the way they are, it kills so much of the actual creepiness i mean
1: i but see i don't think they go that far they don't go yeah they don't show
0: leatherface as a little boy
1: right it's just like this throwaway line of oh well you know he has a skin disease and people picked on him and that's kind of as far as it goes you didn't need it but i don't think it hurts the the story um and i like the kind of uh Expanded dynamic in this family where you know now you have more people, there's women, and, and you know, this lady is like fixing the sheriff's pants. <laughs> you know, it's like it, they feel it's, it's, I th- I felt that it was richer than just three fucking weirdos in one house. Yeah, there's way Sean more woman. moving
0: parts that kind of mesh together. Yeah,
1: and uh, and really, I'm not 100% down with the ending, with the, with the happy ending, uh, no. es- especially in comparison to the no. ending of the original, but I do like the just super creepy subplot of, Oh, there was a family that was here before you guys and they killed all of them and they kept the baby. That's kind of pretty disturbing. Uh, I don't know. I I think that when it comes down to it, to me, it's still a movie that's just about, well, we're going to, we have these characters, we're going to put them to the ringer. We're going to torture them. And that's just as horrifying as it's going to get. And it's going to disturb you. And to me, well, they did it in the, in the original version. So, it's like, if I want to put myself through that, why not just watch the original?
0: So, and also to add on to that, because don't get me wrong, there are a lot of things I like about this. And like I've said, this movie definitely benefits from the Elizabeth town effect of there's been so much shit since this came out that this looks good by comparison. This by no means is a perfect movie. There are some things that are very good about it as a horror movie, as a horror movie. I really enjoy it as a Texas chainsaw massacre movie. You're never going to live up to the level of the original, uh, to your point, though, and your interpretation of just fucking snuff for the sake of you know snuff—I <laughs> um, mean, I
1: wouldn't go as far as to call it snuff.
0: No, I, I know, I, I just—but uh, my biggest thing with the with this one that irks me. Is that they do all that, but then they still have the gall to like pull these moments of emotional manipulation on you. Like the wedding ring and the whole sequence of her having to kill Andy is so fucking stupid.
1: Um, Because of the way it's played, right? Because if you were just going to play it as another horrifying thing that she has to do and that was it, then that's fine. But I, I said in Contreras Corner, but that's not really what happens. It's not that she kills him. And then that drives her over the edge and makes her like, you know, it's like she kills him and then that's it. Yeah. No, There's no buildup after that to anything she's else. Just like, sorry.
0: Right. Yeah. She
1: cries. And then it's like, all right, on to the next thing. She doesn't even carry the, the knife with her. <laughs> she goes to the next thing.
0: <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Yeah. That bothers me. The score is awful. Uh, like some of the big parts of like, uh, the jump scares and then the climactic chases is like, <laughs> it's, ugh. and then uh, it's so morbid. You want to know what my biggest beef with the movie is? Tell me. The mask. It's awful.
1: But it's meant to be awful. You just mean that in comparison to the last to the original. It looks it's
0: just... so goofy and oh, I don't know about goofy and really. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I don't like the mask in this one. Not even the,
1: the when he upgrades. Oh, no, 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 the he, Eric Balfour he, mask right. is awesome. When he downloads the Eric Balfour skin.
0: <laughs> he pays $1.99 on the PlayStation <laughs> Network to get the, the skin upgrade. Uh, yeah, the default mask, I was just like, you know, if it was an N64 game, he would pr- have to press the right C button to get over to the next attire. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's... It, and I, I think I commented either in the actual episode or when we were watching it that I've, it's always boggled my mind that the mask in the original is head and shoulders above all the other ones in terms of just being so scary.
1: It's because Toby Hooper used actual skin. Exactly, he couldn't bad. afford actual. He couldn't <laughs>
0: afford prosthetics, so he's like, "Well, we're digging up graves tonight, y'all. <laughs> Read the obituaries. Let's find a fresh one."
1: Um, so I guess since we're going with the bad stuff, you don't like the
0: ending. In what sense?
1: I mean, not just in the sense... I mean, what do you think of the ending, I guess?
0: Are we talking about the ending where she gets away or like the police footage?
1: The ending where she gets away.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it it gets kind of silly. It.
1: She seemed very composed to me after everything that has happened. Yes,
0: yes. To me, it gets very silly when she escapes and then there's that awesome shot of her in the rain screaming stop while the headlights of the truck hit her and then as soon as it's like as immediately when the truck driver gets out to help her it's like nispel to her all right from this point on you're tranquil you can't you can't emote in any capacity <laughs> at all and then it does a thing where she like turns into the hitchhiker no you're on the wrong way yeah that's all really dumb um I, i'm i've always been fine with the way the original ended just
1: it feels more honest Yeah, after everything that's happened at the same time, it it led me to think also that, okay, well, another thing that these movies do, why do you watch these movies, right? We talked a little bit about that in the last episode, it's just going through the haunted house, going on the roller coaster, you just go because you want those emotions, you want that, that adrenaline. Uh, But also sometimes, I think maybe most of the time, a part of the contract is that you're gonna see these characters get put through the ringer, but then at the end, you'll get the release of them getting some sort of payback, which you don't really get in the original, right? I mean, the weird hitchhiker gets hit by the truck, but that's kind of, it's not that-
0: Your reward is leaving with your life. Exactly.
1: Uh, Whereas here, it's all built up to where she chops off Leatherface's arm, and then she runs over uh, Arlie army several times. And that's
0: clearly what changed with interpretation of these movies in the 30 year gap in between them 29 whatever is that became the sense of we need to have you have to full circle a movie you have to have you know if someone's wrong they have to get revenge and the it,
1: release can't just be that she escaped her life and she will be traumatized for the rest of it
0: exactly and then also it's so fucking silly that she's like this Swiss army woman that can pick locks and hotwire cars. And-
1: well, I mean, if I'll, I'll give him this, at least they establish it enough in the movie. You know, she has two instances where she does it, uh, before she hotwires like the, the police car. If she just done it out of nowhere, that would really piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she opens that bathroom door, then she does their own car, right? Oh yeah. That's when the, the girl's holding the flashlight and trembling and, uh, so it's the second time, and so uh, I mean I'll buy it. It's, I mean, if nothing else, I don't think it's silly. But I think that Leatherface is more resourceful in this one. When you compare this, the remake Leatherface with the original Leatherface, oh, yeah. and you compare Jessica Biel with Marilyn Burns, the one that's progressed the more as far as <laughs> resourcefulness is uh, Leatherface.
0: <laughs> He's got this cufflinks face, <laughs> Leatherface. <laughs> Yeah, he he definitely is Bond esque or uh, not Bond. Who's the guy that designs all of Bonds? Like Q Q. Yes, thank you. Uh, that would that would be uh, Leatherface in this. Uh, you know, every time I watch this, I come away f- with something I like about it and something I don't like. Um, I think it's good. I think it's aged better than a lot of people, including myself, would have expected it to. Um, I do want to take a moment to speak about because I, I I said this so many times in contrarian's corner and I've said it so far also Jessica Biel is better than this movie. She is gives an unbelievably good performance for the subject material that she's given.
1: Right. She could have she could have done worse. She could have performed she could have performed at like half this level and it would still be fine yes. for the movie.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> she she laps she laps everyone else in the movie acting wise. Yeah. And uh
1: and she he, doesn't even have to do the the quivering lower lip. Was
0: it was Jonathan Tucker. That guy was going for it. <laughs> He's like I've seen Empire Records. <laughs> I know where this can go. <laughs>
1: uh
0: but yeah, Jessica Biel is um I mean, yeah, she's really hot and the wardrobe they have her in this movie, it's just like as a dude, it's like, that's that's dope. Uh, but from an acting perspective, like the scene um, where Arlie Ermey and we'll get to my man in just a second, when he shows up at the car with the flashlight and she's like crying and trying to hold together and trying to explain to him everything that's going on. It's just like, God, you can see the other two actors in the car looking at her like, how do I do this?
1: <laughs> are you OK? <laughs> yeah, exactly. cut, Jessica, are you OK?
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Okay. But since since we're on the Jessica Biel train, the, let's let's finish this conversation about the outfit because I think it's. I mean, it works in the sense that, of course, she'd be wearing that if she's going to a Leonard Skinner concert and whatever, right? But there is something. As the movie goes on, it just becomes exploitative. You're
0: and, you're getting into the chicken and the egg discussion right now. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I remember. Uh... The girl I dated in high school. I did like two girls in high school. uh,
1: At the same time.
0: (laughs) One of the girls I dated in high school. I watched this movie with. And I remember her. I vividly remember her commenting on that. Like her. Feigned outrage. That she was wearing that. And it's like. It might have been feigned. That's unfair to say. But. I, I guess. It's just like. That's what she was wearing. And then that's. What she was in the rest of the time, but there is so there's always exploitative. Is have you have you seen slasher movies where they cast girls yeah, just yeah, to be yeah, naked? Right?
1: No, 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 no. But but there is you cannot deny. I'm not there. Whenever something like this comes up, Dude, right?
0: Yeah, I I'm not. I'm just playing devil's advocate. There's there's literally that shot where it's panning her ass walking up to the house. Exactly. Yeah. But
1: but there is. There are ways to do that where it's justified. And and that's the thing. Whenever something like this comes up, it, it, you know, the number one thing is, does it make sense for her to be dressed that way? In this case, I think it does. And then, okay, how are you approaching it? How are you shooting it? Because you can have her dress like that without uh, overtly sexualizing her, right? Because, I mean, the clothes already do it, so you don't have to accentuate it anymore unless you have a point to make. Now, is your point to make that these guys are perverts, not really. I mean, the guy in the wheelchair grabs her ass. Yeah. Right. But other than that, the fact that she's super hot doesn't seem to have an impact on the story or on how anybody else relates to her.
0: It's almost uh, like the guy that was behind the camera for this came from a career of just focusing on <laughs> superlative <laughs> things. <laughs>
1: it's when it becomes when I start getting the feeling that the only reason you're shooting her this certain way. Is because you know that it's gonna get the male audience all hot and bothered. That's when I start feeling a little gross about it. That's fair. If she's wearing that, it makes sense, like I said, you know. But but there's, it starts getting a little weird when it's supposed to be this really intense chase scene or whatever. And it it it, got mm -hmm. excessive, right? Yeah. Um,
0: It's one of those things of, I'm sure there's a way. I know there's, a, just to our point, if it hadn't gotten so excessive, it wouldn't have been a factor. But Right, we wouldn't even be talking about it. it yeah. We'd be just like,
1: wow, she looks hot, but we wouldn't be... The joke would be that even through all this shit, we're we're seeing how hot
0: she is. Were, Whereas in yeah. this case,
1: it's like, of course she's hot. The movie's been telling me she's hot in every shot of her. Yeah,
0: exactly. Which she is.
1: Yeah, she is. Yeah. But, you know, I'm glad she was comfortable. Jesus.
0: <laughs> that profile shot of her, I was like, Jesus. <laughs>
1: Please survive. Yeah.
0: I took my beer and dabbed it to my forehead. I was just like, (laughs) good Lord.
1: You're like an early army just pouring the beer on your face.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, it it becomes excessive. And um, I kind of expected in doing my research to find something where she was like outraged by it. And that was the only thing I could really find that was like, because that if you talk to people that have seen this movie, a lot of times it's going to come up male or female. Well, Jessica Biel was just hanging out in the breeze during that whole movie, uh, so I was expecting there to be m- more hubbub about it. But, eh, but- no, I mean,
1: I, I mean, to what you said. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> there are much worse examples in this slasher genre or any genre, really, where you know the whole male gazing and all that stuff. This is just, you know, it's an aspect it, of it. It
0: becomes noticeable, is the main thing. Yeah. And again, I think that. It's like, it,
1: give me that shot of Leatherface. I want, I want you to track his ass as he's running through the woods.
0: <laughs> Brian Arsky's wide ass just walking <laughs> through the breeze there. Um.
1: Early Army, you know, just tight pair of pants.
0: <laughs> fitting form uh so i want to get to him and then wrapping up beal so good i think what we're talking about with the wardrobe here i think the majority of that if not all of it is probably on the director who is new to the realm of feature filmmaking and coming from a world of where excess is celebrated because the duration of what you're presenting is five minutes tops i think if I had to give my opinion on it, he probably didn't realize that that excess doesn't translate as well into something that's ninety minutes long.
1: If you want to be even more cynical, he had a producer that it's all about shooting women in slow motion, yeah. and half naked anyway. So
0: it was the perfect Michael st- Bay
1: was like, "No more. It's okay, man. Follow so then, your instincts."
0: Fuck George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg. This was the perfect storm. <laughs> of <laughs> female exploitation. Uh, but in closing, Beale is fantastic. Uh, would you say
1: she's the best part of the movie?
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: I think it's a toss-up between her and uh, Arlie
0: me. We'll move on to that. Uh, the reason I would say Beale, before we get to our, our next highlight, is she was nowhere near as polished at this point. And...
1: Okay, so she gets props for bringing it uh, unexpectedly.
0: And with it's so hard to talk about these with the way this is aged and the way the franchise is woven in and out of notoriety embodies the embry of, (laughs) well fuck I don't know what this movie is going to do but I know what I'm going to do and that's I'm going to give it the absolute best I can and she does that but she's also really talented so it
1: so what she gives you is, yeah. is great.
0: It's like the rest of this movie is just kind of like, eh, and then looking at hers, like looking at a fucking lunar eclipse. It's like, Jesus <laughs> can't handle it. Moving along to Arlie Ermey, who uh, he is a guy that we've talked about numerous actors on this podcast that are like this. Benicio del Toro comes to mind immediately, but um, uh, Tom Hardy, I've seen, bad movies he's been in but i've never seen him be bad in a movie Uh uh and i think that is this you can say what you will about the movie you can say even what you will about his character his character's motives the actual lines of dialogue he has but everything he does is with such conviction it's fantastic everyone in this movie is a better actor than i am so i'm not going to act like i could do a better job but the more rookie actors or the you know more bc level actors it is so heavily accented when you have an early Ermy step on screen.
1: It, well, it's that combination of obviously he's probably the most experienced out of them all. And then also his character is just so strong. It just comes, it has such a strong presence that it just bulldozes all the others. I mean, I think that I guess to their credit, the rest of the cast stands up to him, but you walk away thinking, wow, early Ermy was just a powerhouse. Yeah. Uh, he's just, he's just despicable. And he's just creepy and disgusting.
0: I guess that's part of it too. You believe it. You believe he's that gross guy. Yeah.
1: I'm sure he's, he was just the nicest person.
0: (laughs) What, what I did appreciate uh, about this. And one of the things that I've always applauded and defended to people that are deterrent of it is so original part two, part three, part four is you have Leatherface and you have the crazy brother. And Part four kind of dabbled in this, but that movie's so fucking bad, no one cares. That's the one with McConaughey, of where the uh, brother is the actual real evil one, and Leatherface is just kind of doing what he's told. And that works here. Like, Even though Leatherface is chopping these people up, you really feel like Arlie Ermey's the bad guy because he's so gross and vile.
1: He seems like the bigger threat. Yeah. Because Leatherface is just like a weapon. Yeah. Just... Cut him loose and he's going to go, but uh, Arlie Ermey, he's just the most devious out of them and he's dressed like a cop. Yeah,
0: (laughs) so So manipulative. and Yeah, Uh,
1: he's good. I mean, I guess you could accuse him of being one note because he's just pure evil. It's not like you get any sort of, you never see him playing with the baby,
0: (laughs) you know? (laughs) Do you like the scene in the van where he's making uh, Morgan recreate the? Yeah, it's
1: pretty fucked up. I think that that's the moment where the the movie comes really close to crossing a line Uh of of just do too much. You know, let's just move on. This is just too sadistic. Uh, But it didn't. I thought about it, and and then I was like, it's not doing anything worse than what the original did, if nothing else. You know, that it doesn't get to a point where thing if that scene had gone for like 30 seconds longer maybe but they they ended you know they have the nice twist where morgan gets you know pulls the gun out and points it at him and that changes the the dynamic and then and then he's off with him in the car and yeah. so it, it breaks it up a little bit but i think
0: uh if i had to be a fly on the wall like in the writing like the screenwriting meetings for this movie and stuff i can imagine there's there were so many moments when they're like how the fuck did they get 80 minutes out of this? Like, Because you can tell there's just parts where they're just trying to stretch it out. Because the original, like we talked about when we recorded it and when we watched it, not anything really happens. Right. They it's... they get there and then they die. And
1: they die really quickly. Yeah. Other than the Marilyn Burns, everybody gets knocked out just pretty much one after the other. Um... So
0: they're like, all right. So, all right. We'll just make him... Take him in the van and then make him reenact it. Okay, we'll do that. And that'll that'll buy us five minutes. Uh, <laughs> I, I do genuinely love the line when Arlie Ermey asks him, what, what were you doing? And they're like driving to Dallas for a Skinner concert. He goes, Skinner. Hell, I like Skinner. <laughs> we got something in common. <laughs> it succeeds in several areas. It's, uh, I, I wouldn't put it, you know, way up in my horror movie rankings and you know by default or, or by definition I sh- should say a remake is always going to be inferior I honestly off the top of my head I know th- someone will probably call out some remake that's better than the original but
1: I can't think of anything off the top of my head I can think of instances where the remake is just as good you know or or manages to be different enough that you you just go okay I can see why it's not even fair to make a comparison because you've become kind of a different movie the let the right one in remake american remake let me in okay just off the top of my head i think it's just as good a movie Um, well
0: you like the nightmare remake better than the original that is true
1: (laughs) that's i was trying not to bring up something that would make you mad but
0: horror movies are such a fickle beast to try to talk about it came with enough of trying to differentiate itself uh at the same time they tried to play on the hits rely on the hook, the door slamming and all that shit. My biggest compliments of the movie are Jessica Biel, Arlie Ermey, and the actual look of the movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's distinctive. Yeah. It can't compete, but it's distinctive. Um, I forgot to, I mean, we kind of talked about him, but Leatherface himself, how do you think he compares to...
0: It's the story of Andrew Bryanarski, in my opinion is always a guy that's just really gunning to get himself over like at whatever sacrifice of the cast or anything, or, or the movie itself. I don't know. It's Leatherface is always gonna be chubby Gunnar Hansen trotting through his kitchen to me. So anything less or different than that is always gonna be weird to me. You know, it's not as egregious as like some of the iterations of Michael they had in the later <laughs> movies, but it it's fine. I, I, one of the things I realized watching it this time, and like you just mentioned, the reliance on Leatherface is way less than I remember the last time I watched it. He's just, he shows up to kill someone and then goes away. Like, yeah. Now, the best scene in the movie, I, I completely eluded me when we were talking about this because I brought it up in the first part. Uh, Eric Balfour's death scene is awesome that is probably the best presented scene in the movie and you even went holy shit when we were watching it i fell
1: into the trick of thinking that because he was eric balfour he was gonna make it a little longer (laughs) not quite
0: and just the way he leatherface appears out of nowhere and then axes him in the back that that is my favorite part in this movie uh he's fine his wailing and groaning is really grating but you know that
1: He doesn't have the high-pitched voice of the original Leatherface.
0: Right. And the whole arm getting cut off at the end, like we talked about, it's funny because he's kind of ingenuitive throughout the movie. But then he can't figure out how to, like, (laughs) pick up a chainsaw. I do like the visual. It's not good. It's funny, though. Like, his arm's clinging onto it, and it's just spinning in a circle over and over again.
1: His final shot is also kind of weird. It's very different than
0: it's betraying of the character and the movie. Are you talking about when he's like standing in the rain and like brooding and like, yeah, you like know, a it, street fighter character waiting for the round to begin. Yep. Yeah. It, it
1: seems to hint at a sequel that we don't need. And I guess we never got, but, uh, you know what I mean? It was like, oh, this is not over.
0: Yeah. It was so it, fucking stupid. Cause everything else they've shown him in the movie is like, he's panicked or cowering away from a situation unless he has his weapon. And yeah, really, really misguided. again. Yeah. I think if I read correctly and I might just be I might have watched it and completely forgot it. I think it does say there's an alternate ending on the DVD. It to me that ending from the point where she gets in the truck on seems like it's so different from everything else up until that point and kind of betrays what we've been led up to. That seems like the studio watched it and said, "No, we want this to happen." Yeah. They,
1: uh, they uh, focus grouped it and,
0: and <laughs> exactly. Just,
1: they're like, "But no, but she should she should kill the sheriff."
0: yeah and and Alan from you know uh Paducah, Kentucky, was like, "Well, you know, I think she should come out and chop his arm off. What about the baby <laughs> What happened to the baby? oh Jesus, um
1: yeah, and then you 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 have the inevitable comparison to the last time you see Leatherface in the original, which is creepy as hell, right? He's just swinging the the chainsaw. There's no rationale there,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, now I'm getting pissed. You're bringing this up to me and I'm getting all hot and bothered about it. Fuck that. So wrapping it up, 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. This is a movie that in a better mood, I might give like a B minus, but where I'm standing right now, I'd give a C. I I think its positives are very, very good. I think as a whole, it kind of crumbles. It kind of, you know, it's like sand. You kind of pick it up and it looks great, but it falls between your fingers. It's like that type of thing.
1: Yeah, I will give it three stars, even a heart. Three stars and a heart. <laughs> Jessica Biel is great. Uh, Arlo Ermey is creepy as fuck. It's mostly well shot. It's just, it's, it's just, it didn't convince me that it needed to exist. At the same time, kind of like what we said with, you know, the upside or whatever. It's like, there may be people that wouldn't watch a movie from the 70s. Yeah, but they would watch a Texas Chainsaw Massacre produced in 2003, and maybe that leads them to re- seek the original. They and watched hopefully, this, like,
0: That was fun, and then they watched the original. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm not sleeping for four days. <laughs> uh,
1: so, so maybe there is that merit to it. But overall, I mean, I can't. It's it's all right. I just I don't see myself putting myself through the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on a regular basis out of my own volition. But if I were to, then. Why not watch the original if, if, if yeah. I'm going to end up in the same place, right?
0: Um, you should watch two at some point in your life. Well, I kind of
1: want to watch four just because McConaughey, even though you say it's bad. it's just-
0: Oh, it's beyond that. If the opportunity ever presents itself, if, <laughs> if you're at a theme park and there's three doors and it's two, three, and four, watch two. And because it is nothing like either of these. It is, you know. Goofier than Friday the Thirteenth. Like, is it
1: the the Halloween Five of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise?
0: It's goofier than that. <laughs> There's no Tina, but you know, you have Dennis Hopper trying out different chainsaws on a big log and just going, "Yeah."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. There's something that didn't come up. How did you end up watching this movie the first time in the theater? But this was you were already a fan of the original, so. Did you go in excited, or did you go in weary?
0: I was young and stupid too. I think at this point in my life, I'd only seen the original one time, and the thrill of getting to see an R-rated movie in the theater was still really fresh, and so that was really cool. And I went there with my uh, friend Rex and his sister Allison, if I remember correctly. We went on a Friday afternoon after school and um, went and watched it and it was awesome because I was in an R rated movie by myself, you know, and my friends. And so I think my first viewing of it skewed my view on it for so long, um, that now comparing the two, you know, I can kind of break it down and whatnot. Uh, I remember really, really liking the, uh, um, bookends on it, the, how they shot it. Like it was a real thing. I thought, and I still think that's really (laughs) cool. If there's one thing you can point to that, they really took a different approach in remaking it than the original. It's that they tried to like, right. present it Like an actual crime, which I think is great. The last time I watched it before you and I did, it was just, uh, I was cleaning the living room here and, uh, something needs to go on as background noise. I only remember this so well. Cause I just threw it on and I didn't watch any of it. And my parents were here at the time. And then my mom came out right when it started and then sat down and she got hooked just into it and then through the progressive death scenes would more and more oh god why do you watch this but she waited she (laughs) she went till the end and my mom falls asleep at like eight usually and i was like 12 when it ended and then the next morning she came out and she's like alex made me watch this movie last night (laughs) so i guess that's part of it too my enjoyment of it is i have kind of these fuzzy memories attached to it both from my original viewing and uh, just other stories along the way a friend of the podcast read I, I told him it was like he's only seen it once i was like you should give it a rewatch elizabeth town effect it, there's been a lot of garbage since then so i enjoy it doesn't hold a candle to the original if i never saw it again the rest of my life i'd be fine it's not it's not a movie that i need by my side but much like this whole series has really made me wonder and i still don't know if i can put a clear finger on what makes a good remake it's such a tricky (laughs) dynamic because like you said the main thing is the movie has to justify to you the viewer that it needed to be remade in the first place
1: right and that is if you're assuming that the viewer has watched the original yes i guess there's always that extra element of well, we're just making it because nobody's gonna watch the original. So,
0: and not everyone's huge fucking dorks like us that have watched all these <laughs> movies. So you never know. It's uh, so who's gonna be in the American remake of Blue Is the Warmest Color when it comes out?
1: <laughs> uh, I was gonna say Scarlett Johansson, but she's too old for that now. It has to be a high school girl. Yeah, that's just gross thinking about it. So I guess. Um, it will be directed by David Fincher. I can tell you that much. Oh, Oh,
0: one hundred percent. Uh, Rooney Mara,
1: too old now. Uh,
0: they'll remake it that they're grad students.
1: No, it has to be a a perennial, um, young person, Chloe Grace Moretz.
0: I I can't, like, that's always hit girl, dude. Yeah, exactly. It's always the worst when (laughs) she's always gonna be hit girl. So, like, the Emma Watson thing. It's like, oh, there
1: you go, Emma Watson. She always looks super young. Yeah,
0: it'll happen. Mark my words. And then five years from now, they'll remake the Avengers. With God in France. It. <laughs> Avengers. <laughs> with <Jude laughs> at the Captain helm. France. <laughs> all right. So wrapping up the autumn of remakes and moving on to plugs. First and foremost, the festive years as always provide our opening and closing tracks. They always kick us off with last stand. Bring us home with summer of 99, the festive years.com for all your festive years needs.
1: And then the man behind our logo Hans Rothgeiser, he uh, did our logo. He has two podcasts. He has Nacion Combi, which is a podcast in Spanish you can find on any podcatchers. It's about Peruvian current affairs, politics, uh, entertainment, all that good stuff. Um, or if you don't speak Spanish but you speak English, which you probably do because you're listening to this podcast, you just search for uh, Living in Peru, which is only on iBox, and that's in English. It's about people that move to Peru immigrants um and then you can also contact him uh, about comics about logos about everything he writes at uh, mildemonios.pe that's m-i-l-d-e-m-o-n-i-o-s uh also on twitter at mildemonios and an email mildemonios at hotmail.com just contact him and get him to tell you crazy stories about his peruvian life or get him to draw something for you it'll be great
0: either way I have no plug, but I do have this. Did you know? Okay, so at work, uh, when I have my headphones in, I often listen to just random shit. And I was listening to Disney tunes last week. And A Whole New World came on. And it was the original version of the song. Did you know, towards the end, when they're kind of overlapping each other with their lyrics, in the original version, Jasmine says, Every moment, red letter. And then eventually it was adapted into every moment gets better.
1: I did not know this.
0: So I was like, what the hell is she saying? So then I had to look up the original lyrics and it was every moment red letter. And then I was like, what the hell does that mean? So, (laughs) and apparently this is a whole thing, like in the community, like, uh, I guess the Blu-ray release of it has the updated music like only certain ones have the original song in it where she says every moment red letter. What it means is in the Old Testament, whenever God spoke, the text would be in red and that was eventually adapted into people used red letter to signify significant events, holidays or moments of joy. So like on your calendar, you would put Christmas in red letters. So she was basically saying every moment is a holiday. and I don't know if it was because of the religious connotations or just people not understanding it at all. It was eventually adapted into every moment gets better. I like, it was a Saturday morning and I should have been asleep at 7 a.m., but this was like in my ear, like an earwig and I couldn't get rid of it. So I had to figure it all out. And then I found it all out and I just like put my phone down and I stared at my ceiling and I was like, huh, well, now I know all this. (laughs)
1: <laughs> now what do i do
0: with it exactly so i believe it's like in the vhs release she still says every moment red letter but yeah i don't know what so,
1: a just peculiar choice for the lyrics you know i mean the to echo a question that has been asked several times on this episode but why
0: you know we always joke about nowadays uh filmmakers and movies having to just Hold and diaper and pat the ass of their v- viewing audience. Imagine if that was in a movie now, dude. Like, what? What does it mean?
1: Well, it just, why would you? I don't know. I mean, it just, I'm fascinated by it.
0: I, I, I was clearly, I had to go down this massive rabbit hole. So, if you didn't know that, I learned you something today.
1: A hundred percent, you did. Um, for my official plug. <laughs> <laughs> the plug, the, the ongoing plug for Otherworlds Austin, the sci-fi film festival from our friend Reed. December 5th through December 8th. Get your badges at otherworldsfilmfest.com. That's here in Austin. I'll be there. Alex will be there. The galaxy. At the galaxy, lots of sci-fi movies, sci-fi geeks. It's a good time. Be there. And then I kind of don't have anything to plug in the sense of I've been watching movies that didn't quite do it for me. Uh, I am super pumped for the Watchmen TV show. I haven't gotten to it yet, but it's it's right there. As soon as I have like an hour to myself where I have nothing else to do, I'm just going to... Because I'm not watching that on my phone. That has to be on the oh, big yeah. TV with, with just no distractions. Um, so, I'm going to
0: wait for your word to see if I should dive into it or not.
1: I'm going to say yes. I can't. I'm going to be heartbroken if I end up coming back next week and be like, Alex, no.
0: <laughs> Don't. It it, did, it didn't start with the times are a change and <laughs> Don't watch it. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to be as free
1: of preconceived notions as possible. That's um, a good way to go. I'll, you know what? My plug's going to go to uh, Mario Kart, whatever you call it. The newest one or the latest one. Uh, my wife bought a Nintendo Switch a while ago. I hardly ever get to play with it, but she wrangled me into uh, a couple of Mario Kart sessions Last night and the night before. And I had a blast. I was... At first, I was like, I don't like this. Because I just couldn't... I kept losing. Yeah. I couldn't quite get the hang of it. And then eventually, I got the hang of it. And I was doing all right. And it's just as fun as, you know... All people like me, we played the original Mario Kart. <laughs> and we were good at it, damn it. So, it felt reassuring that I was doing decently on the newer one. Fucking... Have you played with
0: a Switch? No.
1: The, the controllers are like... Grade. Controllers are like the size of my thumb. So it's just really tiny. It's, oh, it's just, yeah.
0: I've watched people play that. And I'm like, nope.
1: Yeah, you get used to it, but still. Fair enough. You know, back in my day, we had real controllers, That's let me right. tell you.
0: And they weren't wireless. <laughs> all right. That concludes the autumn of remakes. we got a lot of good stuff coming down the pipeline for y'all.
1: We have a, we have a bonus episode to wrap it all up. We have The Fly. Yes. But uh, as far as the official...
0: The canonical summer of remakes, the or uh, autumn of remakes, excuse me. Got me all tripped up.
1: Well, as far as what happens next, here here you go. Get ready. <laughs> so we have the bonus episode of the original Fly. Then episode 97 will be Adventureland. Hell yeah. It's uh, the Jesse Eisenberg, Ryan Reynolds, Kristen Stewart?
0: Yeah, Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Bill Hader, Kristen Wiig.
1: Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig, that's right, yeah. yeah. A good time will be had by all. Uh, Episode 98 is a crossover. Dan from Netflix and Swill will be doing the Netflix original Mute with us. Episode 99, Alex comes to the end of his Marvel Universe journey. Uh, We'll do Avengers Endgame. And that comes out on January 1st. It'll be the beginning of our 100th episode extravaganza month.
0: Have two months to watch all this Marvel bullshit. You'll define.
1: You'll define, my friend. Remember, I'm just a text away. <laughs> uh, so, January 1st is episode 99, Avengers Endgame. January 7th will be our special episode about the Terminator franchise with returning guest Chas Fisher. It's been too long, Chas.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: January 15th is our 100th episode, Watchmen. Because how else do you follow up Avengers Endgame? <laughs> Uh, and then we close our, our January celebrations with uh, January 21st, our Prometheus commentary.
0: Dude, that Watchmen episode is going to have to be like a Saturday. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: It'll be the Pulp Fiction uh, yeah. structure. Uh, and then, you know, in case you're curious, episode 101 so far, looks like it's going to be duplex by popular demand.
0: <laughs> Steve from uh, Songs with <laughs> Friends asked us to do duplex so we will proudly present... The Ben Stiller and Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. Okay. The
1: Contrarians percent duplex. duplex.
0: <laughs> There's a very real possibility more people listen to this than <laughs> saw that movie. So, all right, a lot of good stuff on the horizon. That'll wrap it up for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, both the original and the 2003 eh, remake. That'll do it for us here on the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>